0: Lost and Found, part two, titled the message today, Lose Love, Lose All. Would you just tell your neighbor, lose love, lose all? I'm afraid that there is churches, this is like literally on my heart this morning, and people within the body of Christ have lost love. When you lose love, you lose all. It's a, I find that often when I preach on something, I'll go through it that week or just come out of it or going into it. But most of the time I find myself in that battle. This week, body's not feeling well, feeling beat up, feeling 42. and um, But I came across conversations this week that, um, man, this this word is like in me, you know. So when I... Talk this way. It's not like I'm angry or sad. It's it's, it's deep, you know. There's a grief, and you know the Bible says you can grieve the Holy Spirit, and I think the Holy Spirit's grieved when the church loses its first love. And you lose love, you you lose you lose all. Luke 15 is probably the most famous um, one of the most famous passages of Scripture. Many of us know it for the prodigal son, even though it really isn't about the son. It's about the father. The father's mentioned more than the son is. But Luke 15 is obviously where this series came from, Lost and Found. Many of you probably heard the story of the prodigal son or reference to sing songs in Luke 15. The sheep and the 99, the lost coin. I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you as we start to unpack this story over the next few weeks, I'm going to ask you to not sit back if you've heard it before and say, I've heard that story. I know the story. Instead, I'm going to invite you to lean in and hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you uh, through this word. All right, Luke 15, verse 1 through 3. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, the man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. A parable means to come alongside or to cast alongside. A parable is not an elementary lesson. It's not a cute little Bible story that you tell. It's, this is a deep theological teaching. You have to remember who he's talking to. A parable isn't just a story, it's a story attached with a spiritual significance or a spiritual meaning. So it's way of Jesus communicating, I'm trying to drive home a deep point that I need you to think about. I'm not going to tell you plainly because I want you to meditate on this and I want it to be sunk into your heart. This is not surface level teaching, Luke 15. It always amazes me when somebody says, we need to go deeper as a church and teach deeper and you can't get much deeper than Luke 15. Luke 15. Yet, if I preached on Luke 15 over and over again, some people would say you need to go deep to miss the whole point. I think this is one of the deepest parables that you can get in all of Scripture. You have to remember who he's talking to. He's talking to two people, the Pharisees and sinners. The Pharisees. These are Bible scholars of the Torah. These are professors. These are people who have deep theological training in the modern day, in their their day, that is, right? They would have taught the Jewish law. They knew this thing. And these religious leaders are about to get a massive lesson. So Jesus wasn't giving an elementary school lesson. He's giving a master's class at the highest level Bible college. So he's got a critical audience that he's going to teach this lesson to. I think he's got a deep lesson for them, and he's got a lesson also for those listening in. Luke 15 is not a surface-level teaching. It's a very, very important lesson. Sinners is the other group of people in this audience who are sinners, people that are devoted to sin or not free from sin. Maybe they don't know right? They're intriguing, they're sitting in, they're listening to Jesus, which is also interesting that Jesus would be attracting people like this. You know, sinners were attracted to him. They wanted to hang out with them and be with them, which is a whole other thing. So you got these two groups of audience. So the faith lesson he's going to teach is not just for the Pharisees, it's for the sinners also, it's for both. And he wants both to hear it. Here's a couple of things you need to know about this text. Would you put the text back up at verses 1 through 3? So he's eating with this group of people and the question becomes who is this guy eating with these sinners and tax collectors? This possibly can't be, right? Well, in ancient Israel, Israel, this time period, a table was a place where spiritual points were often often emphasized or developed. It was always over a meal, no different than so many deals and business deals happen on a golf course or happen over a meal, over lunches. This is the same kind of a thing. Lots of great discussion would occur over eating a meal or sharing a meal. The term dinner that we see here is often described as a feast. There's this idea that there's this guest of honor and there'd be relaxing and reclining at this table at this place or being in environments. Remember, the gospel also says that Jesus would often eat with them, sit at tables with them, hang out with them. In this context, he's sitting and teaching them. But the complaint is he eats with them and he talks with them and he hangs out with them. The reason that was a huge issue to these Pharisees, religious leaders, is because for them, this was considered something you do not do. You don't tangle with the people who are filthy or dirty or unclean, because if you do, it could contaminate you, and so we don't hang around these type of people. Eating with people, actually, the biggest piece to this was it wasn't just having a meal with somebody, it was a way of approving or accepting their behavior. So if you ate with somebody, it was almost as if you were accepting the decisions they were making, at least so they thought. That's... What it implied. And so this is their view of Jesus. How could Jesus be claiming to be who he is and a teacher and who he is, a rabbi worth following when he's doing something blatantly that you don't do? By tradition, by the way, you don't do that. You don't hang around people like this. But notice that Jesus doesn't rebuke them, he doesn't get angry. You're going to see that in a minute. He goes through the, the stories. He doesn't ever rebuke them and yell at them and get in an argument, how could he? Because it does no good to rebuke someone for disobeying a law in which they do not believe. So why would he do it? Instead, he says, well, let me just tell you this story. Let me bring some understanding to you about the kingdom of God so you'll know how the kingdom of God operates. You'll know the standards of the kingdom of God. That was his whole driving point. Jesus knew sitting at the table could jeopardize his influence. He knew that if I do this, it could potentially cost me my life, which eventually it does. In some ways, somebody could suggest that part of the reason he's arrested is because he did stuff like this. He knew it could cost him everything, his reputation, his life, physically, everything. But he's willing to do it anyways. My question to ask is why? Why would he be willing to put so much on the line, sit with people who other people would think That means that, you know, he's accepting or approving of their behavior. Why would he be willing to do this? Why would he eat with sinners? And I think the answer is actually quite simple. You have it in your notes. It's one word, love. And we use the word love so much in our context. You're thinking, man, today, that's an easy lesson. I know, love God, love people. I get it. I've heard it. There's a spirit huge. I mean, Jesus gives three-part parable, a long story to help them understand the value and importance of this word that we're looking at on the screen or if you're watching online. I mean, we're not talking about just like loving Mexican food here. We're not talking about just, we're talking about this, this deep word that everything flows from, that God would do all of this because of love. And if you lose love, you lose all. And we'll see that so clearly in scriptures. Look at what, here's why I believe that this whole thing that they potentially was losing was love. He he eats with sinners because of love. Here's why, 1 John 4, 7 through 12. He's sitting down at the table with these sinners because there's this love inside of him. He's not just trying to bring more people into the kingdom for the sake of bringing people into the kingdom. It's a love that's inside of him that's compelling him to do so. It's out of this love. 1 Corinthians says when you don't have this love, everything else is like pointless, basically. Love is critical. That's why 1 Corinthians 13 is placed between 12 and 14, which is all about spiritual gifts. But if you don't have love, you're a clanging cymbal. The whole thing's pointless. We're going to see that even further today. Look at what John writes, First John four seven through twelve. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. But verse eight, whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. gosh, you should highlight that. You should be excited right now about what just got spoken to you. Please, hear the word of God, like, see it. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Obviously, love is pretty important. No one's seen him. But the way that the world gets revelation of him is how? By the way we love one another. Man, what an understanding of why he would sit with sinners to teach these biblical Showing up to church every day. Serving the church. Working at the church. Never miss a Sunday. Go to every Bible study. Read the Bible every day. Multiple times a day. They have it on their iPhones. It's a screensaver. They stop and pray several times a day. I mean... These are really good Christians. Right? So they thought. That's what they thought. They literally thought they were good Christians. They were righteous. They were holy. They did everything they were supposed to do. He was wrong. They were right. But Jesus is like, you're missing it. And he teaches them something about this love that his father has for those who are not freed from sin. Which I could go into a whole nother teaching to tell you that this lesson is not just for the Pharisees, it's for the sinner, but it's just as much for the Pharisee as it is for the sinner. He loves the sinner so much, he's willing to go. His life, the text says, he literally has no choice. He literally has no choice but to sit and eat with them. There is no other choice that he has. My opinion, I think the Pharisees and religious leaders had forsaken the greatest command. Had forsaken the greatest command. What's the greatest command? If you go back and you read the same law they would have read, Leviticus 19, through 34 this is something they should have memorized. I mean, they knew this thing. Look what Leviticus 19 says. Do not take advantage of foreigners who live among you in your land. Treat them like native-born Israelites. Treat the Gentile, the sinner, those that are not Jew, treat them like your own family. Goes on to say, love them as you love yourself. And when you're not doing that, look at the text of Leviticus 19. What does he say to do? And to help you do this, remember that you were once foreigners. Remember you were once in slavery. Remember how you lived in the land of Egypt and I brought you out. And then he gives them the quote that he's given them so many times, I am the Lord your God. And when they would have read that statement, understood that, they're yep, he took us out of slavery for 400 years and brought us into the promised land. We are where we are today. And this is how he's commanded us to live, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Which Jesus, of course, we know would repeat in the New Testament. He would command to love God, yes, with all of your heart, soul, and mind. But he says, the second one is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. These are the greatest commandments. And if you break the ten commandments in half, the top four, then the bottom six, you see a love for God and a love for others. You see a God relationship and an other relationship. Obviously, this is evidently pretty important. And so Jesus teaches them, if you lose love, you're going to lose all. Remember what Israelites were a couple weeks ago? We taught on this. I taught, I taught on this about take the land. I said that the Israelites were to live as kingdom of priests. Remember? And I said that their mission is your mission also. That they're to be kingdom of priests. Remember what a priest is? It's his representation, right? It's like their, their whole responsibility was to go into the world And reveal God reigns. Remember that? This is their, this is the nation of Israel's highest mission. God is going to reveal himself through this nation. Now you go and live in such a way that when people see the way you live, the way you love, they will know God reigns. And there's only one. That was their whole mission. So what happened? Why would they eventually come to this time or period in their life and their walk with the Lord? Right? These are devout Jews. Why would they, how could they get to this place where they would mock somebody, make fun of somebody, give somebody a hard time for hanging out with a foreigner? And for loving them as they love themselves. Like, why would they get to that place? Did they just forget Leviticus 19? I think it was because they lost love. It's very similar to what happened to the church in Ephesus. And I'm going to parallel the two because I want you to see it in the context of a church. So I want you to see that this this parable that Jesus is going to teach to this group of people the sinners and the Pharisee, I think there's a teaching here that also parallels with the church, and that's why it matters so much to us today. So I want us to see this with the church of Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, this body of believers that are located in Ephesus. This is a church that is in love with God and people. Paul writes about this, and here's what he says in Ephesians 1.16, He says, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, you could circle that, in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people. Now, if you go read through the story of Ephesians or letter to Ephesians, you'll see this incredible church whose evidently faith is high and their love for God's people is great. When Paul writes the church in Ephesus, I mean, the church is outstanding, This is where we get all kinds of great scriptures, by the way. All kinds of encouraging words. In fact, I remember in Bible college, one of the things that a professor told me and told our class was that if you ever want to be encouraged, go read Ephesians. It's an encouraging letter. It's a lot of good stuff. How to fight spiritual warfare and all kinds of amazing things that happen in this church, this body of Ephesus. But the church we read about in the book of Revelation Something's changed in the church of Ephesus. I think very similar to what happened in this group of Pharisees. These religious people, these these native Jews, these people born and of understanding how God had brought them out of slavery and all the things that God did wonderfully for them. But now through this place, how dare he eat with the sinner and associate with people like this? How could he do this? And Jesus is going to teach him through the sheep, through the coin, through the prodigal son. It's love, and I thank you for forsaking it. Watch what happens that John would write about in the book of Revelation, chapter 2. He would write this later on about the same church that he bragged about, and then John writes about it. And John loved the church of Ephesus, by the way, too. But he writes clearly what God had placed in his heart to put. He says, to the angel, and by the way, the word angel there is probably more of the Greek terminology of messenger. In our current context, we might say pastor. In our current context, the way to see, when you see that he writes the letters to the seven churches, is to see pastor, probably the better way, the messenger, the one appointed to lead it. So he's talking to the leadership of the church in Ephesus. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands here's what God says about the church. I know your deeds, your hard work, and perseverance. Now, let's pause. I know how you set up and tear down. I know, man, all the things that you've been doing to the church. And we could talk about all kinds of churches. I know what it's like to have to manage a facility and you have to get in your car and get your kids in the van or whatever kind of car you have. If you're blessed to have a van like me, it's is a wonderful blessing. You're missing it. Um, but, uh, no, you know, you, um, I mean, I know what it's like. I mean, you, you know, you're exhausted from the night before. And, you know, just tired and just rather go to the beach or hang out. and your hard work. I mean, you volunteer, you serve, you, all kinds of things. You really worked hard. I know, I know. And you thought about giving up several times, but you didn't. I'm so proud of you for that. You've persevered. I mean, he brags on him. He's like, you've done great. He goes on to say, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. In fact, you've tested those who claim to be apostles. So you don't like false teaching. In fact, notice, pastor, hey, leader, church leader of Ephesus, you've taught truth. And, and you've, you don't tolerate wicked people. I mean, you don't tolerate sin. You don't put up with it. You've dealt with it. Like, great job. This is what he writes. And you found them to be false. And you have persevered again, he says it. God, I'm so proud of your perseverance. And you've endured hardships for my name. So you've done great things for my name. This is what he says. Then he goes on. And you haven't grown weary. Man, awesome. And you would say, gosh, if I stop there, I want to go to the church at Ephesus. That sounds like an awesome, thriving church. They're working hard. They're persevering. They don't give up. They teach truth. Right? They don't put up with wicked stuff. But then you read verse 4, and you're like, I think I'm going to go somewhere else. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. That's huge teaching and implications to the Pharisees and I think to the church in Ephesus. The word forsaken is a Greek word, right? Afilame. And it means to send away or to leave. Now, do you remember the stories that we're going to pack in Luke 15? The sheep wandered away. There's a, there's a teaching that says he some sheep will wander away. They don't know the way home. There's a lost coin. It's, it wasn't an option. The, the coin didn't choose to get lost. It didn't jump out of what we believe might be the woman's, you know, headwear be- for her marriage and just decided to kind of start walking away, the son decides to go away. I want you to see this teaching in this. It's a forsaken. It's a, it's, the prodigal son leaves. The sheep and the coin don't. We'll talk about that later in the week. But the prodigal son decides to leave. He chooses to leave even though he knows where he should be. It's a forsaking. The Ephesian church was a working church, done great things for the Lord. But here's what I want you to write in your notes. The church in Ephesus, working for Jesus, eclipsed their love relationship with him. Which is exactly what the Pharisees had done. Their focus became their own righteousness rather than their relationship with their God church in Ephesus working for Jesus eclipsed, the work eclipsed the love. I don't think they only left their love for God, though. I think they left their love for people. They've forsaken not just their love for God, but also for their love for people, because I think the two things go together. You can't say you love God and His and not his family, and you... Can't really love his family if you don't love him first, as we just read in First John. The two go together. Labor is never a substitute for love. Think about your marriage, if you're married. Labor can never be a substitute for love. Well, I work for the kids. That's what... Many people said for years, right? Well, I go out and I work and I labor. Isn't that enough? To which the answer of all of us with children, we would say no. Right? It's not enough. Just laboring doesn't cut it. I don't need to kiss my spouse or encourage my spouse or be kind to my spouse. I worked for you today. Try that out. Well, don't because it won't. End well for you. Labor is never a substitute for love. Pharisees, your works are never a substitute for love. Church in Ephesus, your work is never a substitute for love. Remember what Matthew wrote in seven twenty-one through 23. He said, there's gonna be a day where people come to me on that day, they did many great works in my name, but out of my mouth I'll spew them, like I'll say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Which teaches us and tells us it's possible to serve, to sacrifice, and suffer for the Lord, and yet still not love Him. I mean, that right there makes me wanna go, Okay, I'm done. I I don't want to say, like that's, makes me just do some interpersonal right now reflection on like, do I love him? Am I sacrificing? Sure. If I have served, yeah. I mean, suffer? Yeah. Maybe a little, uh, you know. But it's possible to do these things and have not love for him. I mean, and we're only unpacking verses one through three. I told you, this thing gets deep. I love this quote by Warren Wiersbe. He says, the church that loses its love will soon lose its light. And I love that because there's so much truth in that. At the same time, the same quote wrecks my heart. The church that loses its love will soon lose its light. I wonder how many churches I mean, bodies around our world have lost love. I mean, they have a massive crowd coming, maybe, or small crowd, or they have no, no love inside of it. <laughs> that means you could be, you could see churches that, gosh, I mean, they're serving, they're sacrificing, they're suffering. Man, they're doing great work. Yeah, Jesus is they don't even love me. All of this is done for the wrong reasons. And they've lost their way, they've forsaken it. They've left it. It's to build, it's to grow. It's all kinds of reasons. The Pharisees, man, these, these aren't people you would have questioned their devout behavior. I mean, honestly, if you were there, it's easy for us to look back down on the Pharisees and be like, oh, you bad Pharisees. I can't believe the Pharisees. But if you were there that day, you'd be like, man, those are Pharisees. They're like, those are really goody-tissue people. I mean, they're very, very good people. Like, they obey every single thing the Bible says to do. They have a lot of laws, and they follow all of them to the T, or so they try. Like, just, you understand, like, these are people who, from the outside looking in, like, these are devout followers of Jesus or God or, you know. And they had it all wrong. If we lose love, we lose all. In ministry, I have found a tension in working for the Lord. There's a tension in ministry while working for the Lord it becomes so easy to neglect loving him. Not just in ministry and following Jesus. I found it to become so easy to just follow Jesus and to do the things that followers of Jesus do while also neglecting the whole reason why he got into the relationship in the first place some of us who are married understand what maybe at some point in your marriage or you know somebody who, who's understanding that they got married and going through routine, going through motions, doing all the married stuff, all the stuff that married people do, and yet there's not love between the two. Doesn't that happen? I mean, we, we see this happen, right? They're, 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 they're sleeping in the same bed. They go on vacation. They manage the house. And they haven't given up. But like... Love somewhere is absent. And I'm not talking about an emotion, by the way, but there's something that just doesn't seem to be right there. This isn't just an emotion, by the way, that God is saying, oh, they used to be on fire, and now they're not anymore, <laughs> you know? No, I don't think it's about an emotion. It's much more than an emotion. Emotions go up and down, yeah, yeah. Love remains, right? Right? It's unconditional. So, if we lose love, like the Pharisees, maybe, or the church in Ephesus, what do we do? Like, how does that get restored? The good news is there's a way to get restored. And John writes it in the next verse in verse 5 of Revelation chapter 2. I'll invite the band forward, if you would come. Verse 5 says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. There's so much in there. Four ways to restore your love for God and others. And I'll tell you why this message is so gripping my heart as I give you these four things. Number one, he says to remember. Consider, right? You can take that into remember if you want to. How far are you fallen. Remember, meditate on his love for you. Okay, so let me pause there and help you understand and apply this so you go, okay, what do I do with this stuff now? Because this is like, man, if you don't do it, like James said, then you've missed the whole point of today so um, so remembering this piece here it says if you want to restore your love for God and others remember meditate on his love for you here, here's the lesson here's what God is burdening with for our church and our body here there's a there's a hundred percent truth to this you should be madly in love with telling other people about the gospel and if you're not I'm asking you to consider your ways. We should be madly in love. We should wake up every day, I believe this, as a follower of Jesus, not as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus and go, God, please give me a chance to share your gospel. Who can I share you with? Who can I encourage? Who can I lift up? Who can I spur on in the body of Christ? And who can I reach that's not a part of it? It's often said in church world that they want invite culture. I do not want you to ever be a church of invite culture. We just need to be a loving culture. And if you love, you'll bring people to Jesus, not to brave church. The goal is not to grow Brave Church, by the way, or grow any church you are ever a part of. Your goal is only one thing, to make God known to the world around you, to expand his kingdom. It's not to build a brand or to build my name. It's to build his name. He will get the glory. I will not, that I assure you. And when Jesus returns... No church name banner will be lifted high. There will only be one name that you praise and glorify. We must fall in love with Jesus all over again. I'm inviting you to do that. If you've lost the love, would you just take a moment and remember what he did for you? And I'm not just talking about going to a cross I'm not just talking about being resurrected from the dead. I'm talking about what he did for you personally. Do you remember when he came to you? You did not find him, he found you. Do you remember when he found you? Do you remember how he found you? Just remember for a moment what he's done for you and begin to experience that love. The Pharisees had lost it. Do you remember what I did when I brought you out of Egypt? Leviticus 19, this is a law I'm putting into place. And in the law, I'm giving you, is what he says to the Pharisees, go back. Think about when I took you from slavery and out of where you were. And now, do you, look where you are today. Remember. And as you begin to remember what God has done for you, I think it leads you to repentance, number two. Repentance is a change. It's to make a change. Change the way you think. Change the way you behave. You can change it a number of ways. But ultimately it's the change. Shift something around. I'm making a change. I'm going to do something different. To the Pharisees, you know what he's really wanting them to change? Start sitting down with sinners. Tell them about what I did for you. That was the call from the very beginning to be a kingdom of priests. And then, if you've lost this love for the Lord and others, like, man, you show up to church and you check the box and you've persevered in your faith, would you just consider this one just remembering and repenting if you need to and then repeat the first things you did? Do you remember, and I felt so moved by the Holy Spirit, that do you remember what you did when you first gave your life to the Lord? I mean, for some of you, do you remember when God really showed up? And for some of you, for some, maybe not every one of you, but for some of you, you literally danced. Do you remember that? Like do you remember I remember as a kid when I gave my life to the Lord like it really came impact I'd go to my room and I would just jump and dance and like just have this massive party by myself with maybe angels in the room I don't know I didn't see any I'm just saying to you that I just the, the presence of God and it was me and, and it just was dancing and it was like and then you get become the, like an adult and then you're like ah oh, what would they say about me though I don't know it seems kind of weird I mean, I'll do it if you 2 comes to concert, but you know, this is church. We don't sing in church. We don't dance in church. And I'm not saying just dancing is like what I'm after here. But what I am saying, if you used to dance, why aren't you dancing? Because the enemy has come in and taken the love out. Let me tell you something, when you fall in love, I don't know about you, but I remember my wife came down the aisle, and she's coming down, and I'm trying to just, you know, remember all the things to say, and hold it all together. She gets down front, and I look right at her with her mom and dad in front of me, I'm like, you are so hot. And I had one thing on my mind. I mean, I was in love, like, you know, you know what I'm talking about, like that honeymoon phase, you know? It's like, I'm so ready for you. I have been waiting. Let's go. Like, why are we hurry this up, Andrew? That was the guy doing. Do you feel the passion inside of me? I want to go home now. Um, let's wrap this up. No. Do you remember? Because see, some of you, you get married, and then you're like, man, let's, let's go. Do you remember? Like, there's that passion, and you hold on to it. You're like, gosh. I think somewhere along the way, followers of Jesus can lose that love. I I don't want to use the word fire. It's love. It's always out of love. And when you take a moment and remember what he's done for you, and then you start to make changes in your life, you repent, and then you begin to repeat the things you did, the worship and the word. Those two things will always go together. You start to fall in love with Jesus, His Word and His worship will always come. You just immerse yourself in worship. Immerse yourself in His Word and watch the love of God fill your tank. If your tank is empty, worship and Word. It will fill your tank with love. If you want to see a church that lives and glorifies God, get a church that's in his word and loves to worship. That's why it blows my mind when a church, any church, shows up late. I've come to worship today. I've come to hear his word today. It's going to fill my tank today. I mean, it's, it's filling. It's his worship and through word. And the last one is reveal. And this is so important. Don't miss this. This is the whole teaching. This is the lesson. This is so important. It's what he did. He sat with the sinner to reveal who he was to the broken world around him. And he saw wounds and people beat up and pain and all the things. And he just had to sit with them. If the love of God has somehow been lost in your life, you've forsaken this love. I challenge you. Go tell someone what Jesus has done in your life today who does not know him. Watch the light go off in their mind. Watch their heart be transformed and tell me it doesn't make you want to be like, yes! You need to not leave it to pastors to do your job. Go share the gospel. Go share the gospel with somebody. Tell somebody about what God has done in your life. And you will see the love of God overcome you. And God can use you to do it. Tell somebody. Don't just invite them. Tell them. And when you reveal His love to somebody else... His love begins to pour out. I was sitting with somebody this week telling them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, there's no other place I'd rather be. I got to have a moment of conversation with somebody for a few hours just reminding them of the gospel. And all I wanted to do was sing and dance in the moment. It's like, this is my life. It's what Paul said in Acts 20, 24. I consider my life of no value unless using it to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. My life is worth nothing to me. Take it all away from me. I don't care about any dollar I gain, any house I have, car that I drive. It really doesn't matter. I consider my life worth nothing unless I use it For telling others about Christ. That's why we gather to celebrate his love. If you lose love, you'll lose all. And I don't want you to lose all. I don't want you to lose love. And you've forsaken your first love. It's time to return. So I invite you to stand. And we're going to sing a song, and it's a song, Homecoming. It's this, we heard the song. It was like a, penetrated my heart. I knew that God was saying he wanted to take this season with our church body here and say, I want you to come home this season. And I'm not going to tell you the prodigal son story now. I'll say that for another time. But I will tell you that the Lord loves you. And I don't care if you're a Pharisee in the room and a Christian in the room, if you're somebody who doesn't know Christ. Even the Pharisees have for, forsaken their first love. So this is not a moment for just those who don't know Jesus. This is also a moment. The audience was both, the sinner and the Pharisee. I'll say it's the lost person and the found people. The message today is for both. So if you have lost or forsaken your first love, if you have left that first love, the Lord wants you to come home today. He wants you to come home come back home we're going to sing the song homecoming and as we do I'm going to invite you to sing on earth now as you will sing in heaven I'm going to ask you to be free like seriously let go of all the worry and just be free well they don't do that in the church I've never seen anybody dance in this church so we don't do that right you are having the conversation with the wrong individual. I'm asking you, I'm giving you permission 100% to worship God on earth as you will in heaven. I'm telling you, if you think heaven is gonna be like this, it's pretty good. You, that's not what heaven's like. Why do we wait to worship the King in heaven when you can worship Him now? His presence is there and His presence is here. Well, I'll save it. I'll save it. I'll save it. I'll save it. I'm saving up. The Lord would say, Dance in my presence today. Rejoice with me today. Today's the day to rejoice, not tomorrow. Isn't that what Scripture says? Rejoice. This is the day, right? Don't make me sing the song, Rejoice. Today, you remember this song? Can we sing at church? Let's let's return to love.